I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. As pressure on government and corporate research budgets grow, organizations like the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation are playing an increasingly critical role in advancing and accelerating drug development. The foundation's efforts, including its landmark genetic study of multiple myeloma patients, are helping advance innovative therapies in an area that has long been characterized by its lack of new treatment options. We spoke to Walter Capone, president and CEO of the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, about his organization's efforts, how it's breaking down barriers to cooperation between its partners, and what it's doing to get the biggest bang for its research bucks. Walter, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. The Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation has been leading an effort to accelerate the development of personalized therapies to treat the disease through the formation of collaborations. We're going to talk about those efforts and the large study you're conducting that's at the heart of them, but I thought we could begin with the disease itself. What is multiple myeloma? So thank you for the question. And in Describing myeloma, it is classified as a uh, B-cell malignancy. More specifically, or, or I think more generally, um, it is uh, a cancer of uh, the immune cells uh, that, that stem from or are created in the bone marrow and are generally responsible for helping fend off uh, infection or uh, illness um, caused in the body itself. So it's basically um, a, a transformation of the normal immune uh, system uh, fighting cells that have gone awry. And uh, again, generally uh, predominates in the bone marrow, but then can proliferate or expand out from the bone marrow, circulate in the blood, and um, find itself in, uh, in organs from the kidneys to uh, then metastasize elsewhere. Uh, it's the second uh, most common blood cancer behind leukemia, and roughly 20,000 uh, people a year in the United States are diagnosed with it um, for the first time, and there are about 100,000 people who are living with um, myeloma on, on a year-to-year -year basis. And what's generally the, the prognosis and treatment options? So uh, over 15 years ago, when the foundation first got started, uh, the prospects for a patient, much like our founder, Kathy Giusti, uh, were to basically um, have a three-year expected life uh, or survival following diagnosis. And um, many patients at that time were given the same indication that um, with that short time span, uh, they were more likely to benefit from putting their affairs in order uh, because they would likely be treated with the same drugs that had been used for the preceding three to four decades. Um, and in Kathy's case, her grandfather, who died from myeloma, was basically offered the same drugs that Kathy was being indicated with uh, in 1998. So that, that clearly was unacceptable. Um, and uh, in that time, and, and really the fundamental premise of the foundation, 
uh, is to put ourselves out of business, find cures for this disease, and drive them uh, to patients uh, in a meaningful time frame. Um, so for us, that meant to find ways to work with institutions, uh, research uh, entities, and uh, academia in ways they haven't ever done before, as well as bring industry uh, into uh, the myeloma field in ways that they weren't interested in before because there was no real critical mass, which well, the paucity of patients uh, is hard to get any meaningful studies done quickly, um, but only by building a collaboration and a consortium among researchers to drive uh, clinical research forward quickly. And then by um, investing in uh, these structures to make the path for pharma companies lower risk and more accelerated, you know, cut in half the time it takes to do these studies, were we able to entice and bring them in. And we've progressively built that model out over the last 10 years. As we've discovered with other cancers, I take it that multiple myeloma is, is actually quite heterogeneous. How is that? added to the challenge of developing effective therapies that can cure it? Uh, it is absolutely that uh, in terms of its uh, diversity and its diversity in presentation. So from the outset when the foundation first started in 98 and then launched the first research consortium uh, on, a, on a private foundation level in 2004, the ensuing 10 years have enabled us to work effectively with uh, industry partners like Millennium, Celgene, um, and, and Janssen or Johnson & Johnson to bring forward, uh, and, and most recently Amgen, uh, or Onyx, which was acquired by Amgen, uh, to bring forward six new drugs over the last 10 years, usually the time frame it takes to get one drug approved. And those six drugs um, used in combination are now giving patients a median life uh, expectancy or a median uh, response and control disease of eight to nine years. Um, with, with that prospect and with the platform of the research consortium in place, uh, there are additional four drugs that are likely to come through to approval over the next two years. So the, the possibility to extend life even further uh, beyond the decade is, uh, is really imminent. And that, that's really um, some of the most exciting uh, advances for patients near term. But the diversity of disease that you point to was really made apparent as part of the uh, Multiple Myeloma Genomics Initiative uh, that started shortly after the consortium started in 2004 and published its first data uh, just about three years ago that mapped comprehensively the myeloma genome for the first time, first time in any cancer really that this was done. And that showed us that uh, in any one patient, there could be up to four different types of, uh, of myeloma predominating. And uh, the most common uh, types of myeloma are not just one, but at least 10 um, that can present and, uh, and change over time in a patient. So treating myeloma in this much more specific uh, manner is the next challenge that we're trying to face, uh, that, that, we're, that, I'm sorry, that we're actually facing, and um, incorporating into our research plans to advance targeted therapies for these different subtypes. Uh, but to also un unmask or understand more about the diversity of disease from when it's first diagnosed uh, at the outset. Um, and that's very much the premise for the COMPASS study, which picks up from the genomics initiative uh, that I just mentioned. Well, let, let's talk about the COMPASS study, which, which you launched in 2012. Why don't you walk us through that? What exactly is it? Right. So as, as you mentioned, uh, 
just a moment ago, uh, the diversity of disease and its complexity uh, is one of the biggest facets that we have to overcome if we're trying to drive to a cure. The genomics initiative showed us that based on 200 patients' samples of all different kinds of patients, newly diagnosed, as well as uh, those who have been through many therapies and um, were continuing to progress with disease, uh, these patients were the source for uh, the, the genomic mapping project that displayed this diversity. What we didn't understand, and, and I'm sorry, and importantly showed us that were, there were uh, mutations um, that weren't just uh, seen in uh, myeloma, but actually seen in other diseases, uh, and, and cancers in particular. In this case, uh, one that was very common in metastatic melanoma, um, called BRAF, was actually present in roughly 4 to 7% of myeloma patients. Um, in any other time, that would be a nice anecdote, uh, but it was really important in myeloma because we have just seen the approval of two new drugs in melanoma uh, used both separately and together to target this BRAF mutation. Um, and those two drugs are actually now being used in some myeloma patients who have BRAF mutation and who have no other options. And these patients are actually living today because of this discovery. So based on that finding and the other findings from the first genomic initiative, we knew that we had to more comprehensively map myeloma from when it first was detected um, and see how it changed or evolved over time um, and, and in order to really determine what kind of therapies could be developed to target these specific subtypes of myeloma um, and to overcome or to at least stop and slow down its progression into its different types. And that was really the, the genesis and the focus of the COMPASS study. So in that study, uh, our goal is to enroll a 1,000 newly diagnosed patients and comprehensively map their disease over the course of at least eight and up to 10 years and put that information out into the public domain so that we can catalyze and incentivize scientific research and discovery to help us drive toward um, targeted therapies and, and a cure. That study, uh, launched in 2012, as you mentioned, is going to complete enrollment uh, very shortly, uh, by the end of this year, maybe a couple months into next year. So in that, in so doing, um, 1,000 patients who just received that diagnosis are contributing their bone marrow sample, as they normally would when they first get diagnosed, and they're being seen every three months uh, as normal part of their practice. But their information, um, how, how their disease is uh, manifesting and how it might be controlled or might be progressing, is being very carefully recorded, much like a normal clinical study, uh, in order to understand how patients are responding to therapy and that bone marrow sample is being sequenced in the most comprehensive and detailed manner uh, yet done in, 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 in many cancers, certainly in myeloma, doing whole genome, whole exome, and RNA or transcriptome sequencing. So it might be easy to detect a mutation in someone's DNA, but unless it's actually being expressed in the RNA, it's probably not an active mutation that we can target with drugs. So it's really important to do this kind of molecular profiling. That combination, um, understanding what drugs people are taking and what kind of myeloma we're treating is going to help us identify 
new ways to attack the disease, new targets to go after, and like BRAF, maybe identify drugs that are already available that we can begin applying in myeloma if only we knew patients had a certain subtype that we could address aggressively. Well, one of the ways you're trying to break down barriers to cooperation and accelerate drug development is through the sharing of data and, and providing open access to to the data as it becomes available. Who has access to this data and, and where does the data entirely come from? Is it is it only data that you generate or partners generate? Right. So um, part of breaking down the barriers and bringing together uh, entities that would normally be competitive or at least not you know, reluctant to collaborate was was really the you know magic solution of of, of Compass and, and the magic of trying to put such a significant and landmark initiative uh, up in the first place. Um, the data that's being uh, generated and is being updated every six months is being made available on uh, on these uh, on this. Uh, patient population as it expands and as it gets to that 1,000 level um, through a public portal called the Multiple Myeloma Researcher Gateway. And researchers worldwide, whether they're nuclear physicists or whether they're myeloma specialists, can access the data by merely um, fill, uh, completing a request form uh, for access and providing uh, some basic information uh, credentials, much like they would to access uh, the genomics database at the NCI and the like. So uh, basically unfettered access as this uh, data becomes available and um, is, uh, is being updated basically as we speak with a complement of 300 uh, patients with full clinical data and 100 with full genomic data, the most of any uh, cancer that we're aware of publicly anywhere. And what was the thinking behind doing this? That normally uh, any individual company would have great difficulty trying to undertake this kind of initiative in order to improve and accelerate their own drug development efforts. Uh, we're investing almost $40 million to do this kind of work over the course of that eight to 10 year period. So it's a daunting task for a company just coming into the field to invest that money before they even have uh, a drug that's developed or targeted to advance. It's hard to sell that to investors or to um, explain that in the portfolio of uh, drugs they might be developing in a larger company. So on uh, the institution, on, on the uh, industry side, having uh, this kind of natural resource that Compass is uh, provides uh, a clear uh, incentive and a clear opportunity to optimize and accelerate the work that they might be doing on their own. And by supporting that effort, um, have uh, have uh, access to this information on an ongoing basis. So I mean, I'm sorry. It's still early in this process, but is is there anything to point to that suggests this is having uh, an impact? Right. So uh, I, was, I was just going to mention um, on the institution side, uh, part of the rationale to collaborate again was the fact that. Individually, the institutions wouldn't be able to make discoveries and make uh, an understanding clearer of what characterizes myeloma and how to attack it or treat it differently as quickly as if they were to do it uh, by themselves than doing it together. So the ability to access not only their own patient's information, but information from patients around the, around the world uh, was really an important part of that initiative. So what we're seeing now is it's just been really a fascinating um, progression. 
because when we first started uh, the study, we knew we had um, and we anticipated seeing a wide spectrum of uh, different myeloma subtypes at initial diagnosis. Uh, we knew that there would be a number of different ways that treatments would be combined in these patients to see how uh, they would respond and, and, uh, and to treat them effectively. And um, we knew that, uh, and the part of the premise of starting the study to begin with, there was a small proportion of patients for whom none of these approaches were going to work. And those were the ones that we really had to try to help most urgently and understand why they were progressing uh, more rapidly with aggressive disease. So what we're seeing so far uh, is that indeed um, the, the disease is quite heterogeneous. Um, in our latest uh, data review, there are at least 10,000 to 11,000 mutations, uh, individual mutations that have been seen in the cohort uh, that's been evaluated thus far. Um, so clearly there's heterogeneity with regard to uh, the myeloma itself. You know, from that, uh, we, we've seen, you know, 50 or so mutations that correlate between DNA uh, and RNA in some way, shape, or form. That means they may be actionable, and that's what we're in the process of uh, validating through more sequencing work that's ongoing. Um, so that, that information is, is, you know, just becoming uh, clearer or mature. Uh, the six treatment approaches uh, that predominate all the different therapies um, seem to be doing well for patients with regard to their response. Uh, these, these different combinations that are the most commonly seen uh, seem to be holding uh, patients in check or disease in check for at least three years since, since we've uh, launched the study and counting, which is good. Uh, so the vast majority of patients are still benefiting. Um, for those who are progressing, which is just, just beginning to see a small minority uh, doing that, there are some unique mutations and patterns not previously discovered uh, are described by others and uh, ones that we didn't even see it at the beginning at, at their first uh, sampling. Um, so that is that is just kind of uh, the tip of the iceberg um, that we're seeing so far. I think, you know, importantly, when we look at um, how the effort is progressing, the fact that we've got not just 50 centers when we first started the initiative, but 90 centers, uh, 92 centers that are involved right now. Uh, they're not just in North America, but we've added um, several centers outside of the United States and Spain and a growing number in, uh, in Italy and Western Europe that are contributing to the effort as well. And bringing in entities like the uh, Veterans Administration, a, a first public-private partnership of its kind to put data into open, um, basically open domain or open access, um, these are the things that have really transformed how people are thinking about doing this kind of work. What challenge still remains uh, is the facet that you alluded to at the very end, which was, you know, we've created uh, this resource and this uh, groundbreaking platform. Have others contributed to it yet? Uh, that's certainly something that we're uh, seeking and that we're trying to incentivize uh, institutions to collaborate on. But thus far, uh, there's still this tendency for institutions to want to publish their own data first and then have it uh, contributed to and aggregated as part of uh, the researcher gateway that I mentioned earlier. One of this, my understandings is that this is a cancer that often gets diagnosed late in the progress of the disease. Is any of this work pointing to new ways to diagnose earlier? You know, I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is, unfortunately, <clears throat> uh, falls on two sides that you just mentioned. One where a person will go in for a normal routine uh, physical examination 
And the most common marker for this disease is an excess uh, of protein that's present in the blood, which is basically a collection of these abnormal immune system cells um, that are uh, concentrating either in the blood or in the urine. Um, so that M protein uh, is kind of the marker that uh, sometimes if a patient's lucky, um, they're non-symptomatic. Uh, there'll be this slight aberration in, in, their, in their blood test, and they'll go to a hematologist to get a more detailed test done. And that's when um, the first indication of disease might come up. The other side of it is more like you were just describing, which is uh, a person will have an un, uh, unspecified or unexpected uh, pain in, in their back or in a leg or in, you know, where you've got a major bone which goes back to that description of how myeloma starts and where it begins from. Um, and, or they'll have a fracture, an unusual fracture, a younger person you know, in their 40s or 50s uh, getting an unexpected fracture in one of these areas. And they go in and get tested, and all of a sudden there's a mass of myeloma cells that's uh, in the place where that fracture occurred. And by that point, you, as you uh, astutely mentioned, um, the, the myeloma has already progressed to the point where it's proliferated and it's expressing itself. Um, and depending on how, how much or how quickly it is, uh, it can correspond to more advanced and progressive or uh, aggressive disease or not. So what is, what is part of the COMPASS study and what we're working on with partners like Janssen is um, not having to rely on things like bone marrow samples that are really invasive to detect, identify, and characterize the type of myeloma, but actually develop a simple blood test that can, from which we can extract myeloma cells through um, some amazing technology that uh, they developed, and isolate those cells and then sequence them to characterize the type of myeloma that people have. So that um, the earlier that we can detect and identify and characterize that disease, the more likely it is we'll be able to um, put patients on a pathway of long-term response and durable uh, remission. Um, so clearly, the earlier we act, the better. Um, but with markers like uh, the circulating myeloma cell assay and others that uh, we are working with partners to develop, we hope to um, stop the progress of myeloma, even when it's first detected as a pre-myeloma pre state, like you know, that's called a smoldering myeloma or MGUS. Well, as the environment for research funding has grown more difficult, how does this change the role for organizations like yours and the role they can play, and at the same time, how does that change the way you think about getting the most bang for your buck? So, I'd say you know we are at an amazing, uh, really transformational time in myeloma, and it really I think does correspond to uh, the role that I've assumed at the foundation as a CEO um, to really try to take advantage of the background and the experience I have in the, in the pharmaceutical industry and working with uh, research centers in advancing and developing uh, breakthrough drugs. I, I first started uh, in the area of HIV over 20 years ago. And what I see happening today in myeloma is very reminiscent of where HIV was about 20 years ago at this point, where it was the advent of new classes of drugs uh, not just one uh, one class that was being used uh, in people who were uh, presenting with the HIV infection. Um, and the diagnostic technology that was able to not only detect uh, circulating virus at the most infinite level, 
uh, or finite level, but also characterize the type of mutation that the virus had. So you could you could determine whether a patient is going to respond to one drug or another, and the ability to convey that information broadly, just as the internet was coming uh, becoming mature among researchers who really focus in the area, that nexus um, is really what led HIV from being a death sentence for many patients to being able to use triple combination therapy for the first time and uh, extend life. Um, you know, beyond five years, and now to make it a chronically managed disease with over 29 drugs approved for HIV. That same nexus is happening today in myeloma, where our understanding of the biology and why the disease is presenting the way it is and how it's progressing um, and enables us to target not only mutation-focused um, therapies, but immunotherapies, therapies that activate the immune system to take on this uh, disease and turn it over. Uh, are coming into the fray. So that same uh, predominance of new classes of drugs is really key. The technology to diagnose, as I just described, is now becoming uh, more available and used more frequently. And the ability to use the communications platforms that we've talked about, social media, gateways, um, as, as we've developed and others are, are looking at developing, that ability to integrate patients to the center of the research and drive them into the process of accelerating new drugs and bring industry, academia, and regulators like FDA um, and the NCI to work with us um, aggressively, um, whether it's a new breakthrough designation that can be applied to orphan and rare diseases like ours, or through very, very prodigious and uh, uh, ambitious plans like master protocols um, for uh, driving new target therapies forward quickly. All of this is conspiring to transform how myeloma can be treated. And actually, in a time frame that's three to five years, we could be talking about cures for important portions of uh, myeloma patients overall. So when we look at that kind of uh, approach and that kind of excitement, the, uh, the challenge, as you mentioned, when there's uh, reduction in resources uh, and research funding overall, makes us have to uh, work even more creatively together and integrate much of the efforts across those three areas, the, bi the basic biology, technology, and information sharing, in order to get the most out of every dollar that we do have uh, to spend and to bring to bear into the field. And by creating pre-competitive consortia, by taking more creative and innovative approaches to analyzing the data and sharing the results of these analyses and to rapidly test uh, the findings in patients rather than relying on the same old uh, progressive phase one, phase two, large population studies before we go to approval, because FDA is encouraging us to do it this way uh, and do it differently, break it apart and put it back together better and faster. That's what's, despite the resource limitations, um, that's what's giving me the greatest promise and uh, was really part, core part of our vision going forward for the foundation. Walter Capone, President and CEO of the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Walter, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate the opportunity again, and thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.